If you like betting on golf But everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved With all the stats and the tips and so much more Cause it's the golf betting system The golf betting system is the golf betting system Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 196, featuring the Waste Management Phoenix Open on the PGA Tour and the Ras Al Khaimah Classic on the DP World Tour. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan join me, Steve Bamford, to discuss this week's golf betting action. Good morning, gents. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. Please subscribe to this podcast as you drive the popularity of the show. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit BeGambleAware.org for more info. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world-famous golf betting system website with our in-depth betting previews. They went out yesterday on Twitter. They're available, of course, at Golf Betting System. Tournament strokes gained analysis, masses of tournament form statistics, and our predictor models. All of these features with this podcast are available completely free of charge with no paywall. Right, Barry is at a good talk golf on Twitter. Paul is at Golf Betting. I am at Bamford Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Please subscribe and like the shows. I'll be recording that show after we finished recording this pod. Now, you guys as listeners power this podcast. I say the same thing every week, but it's true. So we need your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. As ever, for those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of a future show. Now, we have a very short, sweet one here, guys. It's entitled Good Stuff. It's uh, five stars, of course. It's from Brent076 in the United States of America. Here we go. Are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. We are. And I quote, an easy listen. Very informative actionable information. That's brilliant. Thank you, Brent. Very, very good. Five-star review from Brent 076. So let me go through that again. Easy listen, very informative, actionable information. It's like being in a, in a meeting again like 15 years ago, Paul, when we used to work. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. a telegram. I like it. What kind of actionable information do you think he's talking about? Is it like looking at our tips and instantly crossing them off? Avoidance, yeah. <laughs> it brings the field down slightly, doesn't it? No, I suspect there's 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 a lot of data, isn't there? There's a lot of data in what we talk about. There's a lot of stats on the site, on the previews. And um, yeah, hopefully the full package does uh, does help um, many of you to uh, to narrow your fields down and, and, and pluck a few winners out. Certainly I see a lot of people, um, and a lot of people come back to us, don't they, with... Uh, yeah, the, the winners that they've got and how they've managed to achieve them via the stats or by, via the yeah. stuff that we've talked about. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's great to see that. So um, if you can pluck a few winners out from the, the information we give you, then uh, all well and good. Good luck to you. Let's talk, let's talk about last week's. So we've got another packed show. Uh, Waste Management Phoenix Open, always one of the highlights, I think, of the PGA Tour. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Saudi. I just thought it was hilarious that Harold Varner III has now won two professional tournaments. One of them was in Australia, 
One of them is now in Saudi Arabia. Because whenever he's carried my money on the PGA Tour, the old knees start knocking <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon and it starts spreading all over the place. But he actually showed some real heart, if you actually look at the, how he won that. I think he bogeyed 16 and then... Was it birdie seventeen, eagle eighteen? Is something crazy yeah. like that? Did you did you see the uh, the the putt on uh, eighteen to win it? No, I didn't. know. Uh, well, yeah, have a have a little search around Twitter. It was was uh, it a long one? About one hundred and twenty feet, I think it was. It was from slightly was, off the green. Yeah, um, uh, I think a little bit of hyperbole. I think they were shown ninety two in the clips. I <clears throat> I saw uh, it was something else, Steve. Yeah, it was beautiful putting. Look, fair play to Harold. Like to Harold, like it's um, winning is difficult no matter where it is, and yeah, maybe he just needs to do a slightly circuitous route to get his head in the right space to be able to win on the PGA Tour. And mm. this is uh, it's another building block. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Great for him. How can With you all- not like the guy? How can you not like him? I've said for years a lot of these these guys they win at different rates. I always bring up Jimmy Walker as the example. Went on forever, not winning. Jimmy, oh, Jimmy can't win. He's got no ball, you know, hasn't got the bottle, hasn't got the, the, the mental fortitude. And then he won one, and all of a sudden he was winning at a very regular rate. Mm. So we, we might see that, could see that with Tom Hoagie. If you look at Tom Hoagie and his win, I, I know that lots of you were on last week, guys, in the listening, um, in the listeners. Um, Tom Hoagie, very popular. Um, but you actually look at the way that guy's been playing over the last three months. His approach play and his around-the-green game is absolutely elite. So, you know, you have got players out there that are really raising their standards. Um, I'm just trying to think. Russell Henley, is, you know, he's, 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 he's been very, very strong recently. There's a lot of good players just under the surface that are bubbling up towards the top 50 in the world or breaking into the top 50. And we've said for a while, Rivana... Now, he's got all the attributes. I can remember him playing in the final group of the PGA Championship at Beth Page Black. I mean, to, to, to get into the final group of a major around Beth Page Black, you've got to be some kind of player. Yeah. Um, so it, it's there. The raw materials are there. It's just it's always between the ears, isn't it, with a lot, with a lot of them. Well, and you know, you've got to get yourself in position. And you know, when, when the doors are jar. It, it can either be taken or not. I mean, had he knocked that part ten feet past, and from the from the distance he was, it's mm. not inconceivable. He knocks that ten feet past, misses the return part, and loses. But instead, he jars it and wins the golf tournament. And you know, in that one shot, that one putt, you've got an incredible swing from what could potentially happen to what actually did happen um, in the context of his career. So. You know, from from our perspective, from any punter's perspective, you just got to keep putting your players in the position where they can potentially win, and uh, you know, and take take your chances on a Sunday, and hope that overall the variance kind of evens itself out, and you get some some good Sundays to go alongside the bad Sundays, which inevitably happen. I did a tweet last Thursday. It was my first ever poll on Twitter. Do Bryson and Phil join the Saudi Super Golf League? And we had four answers. Both do, neither do. Phil joins, Bryson doesn't. Bryson joins, Phil doesn't. Here are the results. 501 votes. Both, 27%. Neither, 35%. Phil joins, Bryson doesn't. I can see that. 32%. Bryson joins, Phil doesn't. 7%. What are your thoughts, if I was to ask the question, gentlemen? To you two. 
I think, Barry, I think you first. Is, I think the thing that's going to be a huge dictating factor in anybody um, taking that those gigantic checks that are being spoken of is um, that the blocker will be the, the majors stopping people as soon as they join that league. That's it. You're out of the majors. You can't play. You can't play the Ryder Cup. You can't play President's Cup. Um, and that's the blocker. And I guess we, we've been talking and messaging a bit offline about this as well. Um, thinking that right now it's looking like it's a um, a league for the, the, the fading lights of golf or let's say the previously bright stars in golf who probably aren't competitive in majors anymore and this is their pension fund or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so so then what's the point because you you don't get those big stars that you they really want to have so i don't know if it all just fizzles out or if it just eventually forces a an actual world tour to to you know to come into existence and we're seeing the seeds of that right now with the um the cross recognition of tournaments with the scottish open being recognized for the pga tour and then there's a couple on the european tour getting um backwards um recognition the other way so i think they're the early stages of it and they're just it, it'll maybe come in over the next few years they're never going to jump that quickly but that i think that's where we ultimately end up mm. so an interesting um interesting kind of analogy with players who are i, I, I guess the players are at the back end of a career similar kind of thing i guess you get with um, professional football in terms of players going off to you know the likes of America or China at the back end of their career for a payday for yeah. a year or two, and um, you know is that is that or has that ever been seen as a threat to the Premier League football? No, of course not, because it's it's a different type of player effectively who's going to do it. The the danger is, of course, that a player like Bryson does go. For, to answer your question, Steve, of the two, um, I would. I would have, I could potentially see Phil going um, if either of them were to go because yeah. I think he's the kind of person who um, will happily take the money. Um, and, you know, Bryson has got a lot more of his, um, you know, immediate career in front of him, whereas Phil, well, ultimately, you know, he's still competitive, uh, reasonably competitive at PGA Tour level, but, um, you know, the, 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 the days and the number of days that he's got left at that level are dwindling. And, you know, does he go and play on the champions circuit on, or does he uh, does he go and get a payday over in Saudi? It's, uh, you know, it may come down to as, as, you know, as simple as what the numbers look like. I mean, it's normal business practice, but the players that they've contacted have all signed NDAs. I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? And it seems to me that, and this, I think, was the way that it was always going to go. They're using Phil as the conduit. Yep. They're using Phil and his management team to be the guys that are behind the scenes in the locker rooms and you know where players meet and talking about this. And Bryson's clearly gone to a level where he's gone to the point where, oh, well, make, make us an offer, and they have. So, I don't know. Going back to the poll, I could see neither. I could see... F- there's talk of Phil getting some kind of share ownership or some kind of input into the Champions Tour on the PGA because clearly you know, he's, he's winning lots in that already. And you've got players like Jim Furyk, Vijay Singh. So they've got some big names. That, those names are only going to get bigger and brighter as time moves on. And, and as, as you said, Barry, it's this major situation, isn't it? 
you know, can 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 Jay Monaghan and Keith Pelly, to a lesser degree, get all of the four governing bodies of the majors to agree to the fact that if anyone plays this, none of their none of those players can play in a major championship. Because that's what they'd need to do, isn't it? USGA with the US Open, PGA of America for the PGA Championship, Royal and Ancient for the Open, and clearly the Masters Organising Committee. Because that's the ultimate threat. I know that the DP World Tour are already saying, oh, you know... It, you know, um, if one of our old, you know, one of our players goes, that um, you know, it's it's endangering them being a captain of a future Ryder Cup team. All all of these discussions and things are happening behind the scenes. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I did read that there's going to be a tournament over here at in St Albans, isn't there, Paul, at the Centurion? Yeah, apparently so. In yeah. the summer, apparently. Yeah. I have no idea. At the moment, he's going to have Jazz Jazz General Watanan probably going to be the star of the uh, the tournament at this rate. But um, yeah, the money talks, doesn't it? And clearly, the the PIF out in Saudi Arabia have got ridiculous amount of funds of available, as we're going to see with Newcastle United over the next five to ten mm. years. So mm. yeah, I just yeah. thought it was interesting. Evolving situation, isn't it? Money cannot buy history, and, and and golf has so much history, and majors are that like big oh, yeah. thing in history that players chase. And not there's anybody who I, I just I, I to me I just I can't. I mean, look, there are ridiculous sums of money there. But thing is, if you can, if you can they re, can they replace the opportunity you know to go have majors and have your career be built around chasing majors rather than just being. Um, I don't know, gun for hire. I don't know if you noticed, but when you looked at the Asian Tour leaderboard this week and you went into the detail on the players, there was a points system on there. So they were put, you know, they were accumulating points for the fairways hit, the greens hit, and all this kind of stuff. So that must be a kind of precursor that they're putting in place because there's going to be a team element to this Super League, isn't there? It's not just going to be sort of normal tournament golf. They're going to have teams and it's all going to be a bit different, apparently. So, yeah, there were, there were points being accrued. Oh, it means nothing to me. At the end of the day, we, we, we try and pick the winner each week. But you can... You, you, I think what you said, Barry, is also very critical. If they're going to sign up, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of some names, a Kevin Nahr or you know, a Lee Westwood or a Poulter, and they get players of that ilk, is that really then going to be something that we're all going to be dying to tune into, mm. to watch? And that's ultimately what we're talking about. Isn't it? it needs to be a product that millions of people across the globe are willing to, to actually tune into watch, because yeah, yeah. otherwise, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. And it's got to be competitive um, in terms of, you know, you, you wanting to watch it versus a DP World Tour event or a, uh, a PGA Tour event that may be happening at the same time or, you know, on the same days or, or yeah. you know, fully fully clashing potentially, depending on the time zones with um, yeah. the events that are that's, on. That's the other thing. If you're watching this this tour and it's like, oh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time at X and none of those players are involved in any majors or, you know, in the whole world of golf as it works, you know, the, it just doesn't seem to make much sense to me. It's just like you said, it's like a pension scheme for players that are probably over the over the hill or are willing to take the cash rather than play majors and potentially not winning. 
cash is the real kind of uh, talking point here for me in that as golf fans, we just don't care week to week how much these guys are winning. No. You know, it's it's compared to other sports, yes, it seems like the, the top guys are quite significantly underpaid. But it doesn't matter to me emotionally when I'm watching a tournament how much these guys are playing for. The, the What matters is the prestige of the tournament. So they can put any figure on any week in a in a in a golf league it just doesn't matter it's the entertainment and the prestige of the tournament that gets me amped up for it and this is why the majors are such a big thing for us because they've had so much history building up over time yeah. and they're the four key events and then the players has somewhat shoehorned its way into being you know a huge thing because it does have it has a thing of being the strongest field in golf and they've also had felt like they've had to ramp up the money in that so i think what the players is now the the most valuable tournament um but it doesn't matter to me i don't care what the prize money for it uh is winning the players is a big thing and that's what matters to me as a fan when i'm watching i know it's a big deal because it's been it's the strongest field in golf so that that gives it its thing um, but on a week-to-week basis, if they're saying, "Oh, the winning team this week gets like eighty-five million dollars each," I mean, it just the figures don't make any difference to me. No. So that, that that's why it just seems it just seems to fall flat in its face. Yeah, for me. It's also, yeah, it's, it's also the familiarity. I mean, you're talking about the plays, talking about TPC Sawgrass. I really enjoy mm-hmm. that because you're going back to the same course that you've seen for a number of years. You know the intricacies of it as a viewer, as a as a punter, and um, you know there's excitement there because you know what's coming up on various holes. Same with the Masters, um, over yeah. here. Same with the uh, BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. If you're going to random courses that you've never seen before with a you know a lesser field or a lesser profile field because they're kind of I don't know, almost been brushed under the carpet, um, you know, due to their, uh, you know, ha- having gone and played part of this uh, this league. Perhaps I, I don't know. Does it does it lose all of its gravitas? Um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know. We'll see how it all unfolds. The Players Championship Prize Fund is up to twenty million dollars, and the winners getting three million six hundred thousand mm. pounds. But that doesn't matter to us. No. Just, I just don't care about it. The, no. Yeah. It's true. I suppose it, you know, it's the prize money, it's the Saudi situation, there's all of these discussions that Phil's bringing up about digital rights, about ownership the players should be getting that the PGA Tour have got control of right now. It's a, it's a real political mess, isn't it? Anyway, I think we've spoken enough about that. Let's actually get on to um, some golf, shall we? There's a, there's a cracking tournament this week over in the United States on Super Bowl weekend, as ever. It's the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is always one of my faves. Um, I like the course. It's, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. It's one of those courses... I mean, we, we, we cover golf every week of the year up to the end of November. And a lot of courses, I have to seriously refresh myself of the, of the holes, but I can always remember the last four holes here. Yeah. 15... Par five onto the island, drivable par five, but it's an island green. 16, of course, you have um, the stadium hole and all the shenanigans going on there. I reckon there could be over 600,000 spectators there this week hmm. over the four days. 
17, which is an amazing hole, which is clearly where Kepka chipped in last year. That drivable par four with water all the way down the left. Um, that is that's a cracking hole. Yeah, do you do you go with driver like Ricky did that year and he, he blew it through the back? Yeah, yeah. Well, you got water down the left and water over the back and, well, and the back, it? yeah, back of the green and all the way down the left. It's a cracking mm. hole. And then, of course, you've got the, the closing eight, uh, um, 18th. I mean, with it, you know, it's downhill, down and left. Got some nasty kind of bunkers on the left side. You've got the bit, all the spectators on the on the hill on the right side of the green and the hole. So it's a really good closing stretch of golf, I always think. Always, always a close finish here as well. So you always get congested leaderboard. Um, if I were, it, my advice would be always take some extra additional each way places here because um, there's a lot of tyres, there's a lot of movement, um, late movement on the leaderboard as well. So actually, you know, from a trading perspective, if you if you've got the uh, if you've got the wherewithal to do that, there's there's definitely opportunities. Let's get into the detail of the course, the stadium course. They've played here for donkey's years. TPC Scottsdale in Scottsdale, Arizona, which as we know, is a big centre for a lot of golfers live in Scottsdale. Uh, great weather all year, excellent tra- practice facilities and the like. It is a Tom Wisecoff and Jay Morrish 1995 original. There was a Wisecoff redesign in 2014, which made it slightly more difficult, I think. Um, I categorise this as a desert golf course, of course, but also resort in terms of its scoring. Now, that does, though, sometimes change, and it might change this year, um, because there is wind in the forecast, likely, and also they have had... I know it sounds ridiculous because it's in the desert, but they have had very, very little rain in the build-up here. I mean, when I did my homework on this over the weekend... I think it was two millimetres of rain they've had in January from, from the first of January onwards. So this year, mm. now clearly they <laughs> irrigation systems or whatever. But as you said, Barry, and it was noticeable yesterday, last week at Pebble. By the close of that tournament, you know, you looking at the divots, it was very dry. The soil at Pebble Beach and and the greens were releasing to a level on the closing Sunday. You know, you, you were shooting a sixty-eight round Pebble, you were shooting a good score, and there was no wind around, so. When you're seeing scoring of that level, that would suggest that the greens had release in them, and there was a bit of a challenge to the course, which is what we like to see. I get a feeling this might this might be similar this week, you know. Might be yeah, similar. There's a bit of popping the ball and the ball bouncing. It made it made it interesting. There was a, a bit more to consider than just uh, throwing yeah. darts. Yeah. Um, much more interesting to watch, and uh, I had a. I had a Backed uh, Joel Damon last week. Um, I don't think I mentioned yeah. him on the pod, but just took a flyer on him, and well, I was um, I was in a very excited mood when he got to seventeen under, and then <laughs> he hit that t- difficult stretch of holes that were, you know, a little bit of wind out there. The greens were a little bit of a challenge, tricky to put on, bit of bounce and the approach shots, and he just could not stop making bogeys. Now he, he he surged and finished strong to to get a full place. So you know, happy days. Uh, on to next week but it was um yeah more of that please if you just just a little bit of a challenge it wasn't brutally tough but uh interesting and engaging to watch i'm just looking at windfinder scottsdale airport 
dead, dead calm Thursday, Friday. It's going to be scoring heaven, 25 degrees, 23 degrees. Saturday's the day that's up for debate, and it keeps changing. It's been changing every time I look at it. They're saying uh, at the moment gusts at lunchtime up to 20 miles an hour, and then it sort of disappears back more to, to 15 miles an hour gusts in the afternoon. That has been stronger than that, so we'll just keep an eye on that. That will dictate uh, scoring the Saturday. Uh, Sunday looks calm again. But just with that forecast, and if the, if if the if there isn't much wind on the Saturday, I, I genuinely think, and they do this, they do it here, the organisers, they'll let this course dry out. So Saturday and Sunday, you will see greens that are releasing and have a bit of pop in them. And it's a remarkable course here in terms of the chat, in terms of winning scores. Kepka last year nineteen under, Simpson seventeen under, Fowler seventeen under, Woodland eighteen under. Matsuama 17 under, 14 under, and then Kepka 15 under. So it's a lot of stability here. So, yeah, I, I call it resort. I don't, I'm not sure it is resort, really. I, I'd probably more call it a mid-score kind of, a high mid-score. So 17 to 18, 19 under par wins this. It isn't, you know, what we saw at Kapalua a few weeks ago is like 34 under and you're not winning. No, no. And that's genuine resort. So this is a plot. I've always said this this golf course is a ball striker's heaven. Absolute ball striker's heaven. You've got three par fives. They're all reachable. And we're playing this at uh, we're also playing this at elevation, 1250 feet above sea level. So we've got thin air, desert golf, ball travels further, and we're looking here at a 7261 yard golf course. So in reality, you do the maths and you t- you're reducing what you're taking. Let's say seven eight percent. This this is this is playing sub seven thousand yards for a par seventy one. The beauty of the course is that, and that's the difficulty of the course to a certain extent. If you do venture off the beaten track here, it's desert golf. There's trouble everywhere, rocks, cactus. <laughs> you plenty of water. There's water in play on six of the eighteen holes. So there are doubles out there, big style. But for me, Webb Simpson changed my thought on this slightly because I always thought it was a true bomber's paradise, a proper Bubba Watson track, high GIR. And it always tends to be a a greens and regulation fest in the end. But Webb Simpson won this uh, two years ago. So you, you... you know, the, the shorter sorts, but the sorts that can hit penetrating drives and accurate drives and have, have still got the gumption to go for the greens. Because when you've got these par fives that are all reachable, you can't be just sanding there going, oh, I'm going to wedge it in from 80 yards. You've, you've lit, To win this tournament, I think you've got to be very, very aggressive on those par fives and also, of course, the 17th. You know, you can make hay there and you can make triples as well. It seems to me it's the kind of course that Colin Morikawa would absolutely thrive on, but he never plays here, so I don't know what that's all about. But Morikawa, the sort that's so good with his long irons, penetrating long irons and also penetrating. I think the key range here is that 175 to 200 yards. Now, the greens, 7,000 and, well, it's 7,100 square feet on average, so they're quite large. They are Tiff Eagle Bermuda grass, but they again are overseeded with Poa Trivialis and a bit of Grygrass. 
So um, very, very similar to the greens that we see at PGA West, where they played the American Express a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm just going back through the memory bank. They're also very similar to the greens that they used to play at uh, Redstone, which is where they used to play the Houston Open. Uh, that changed the golf club in Houston. It was renamed. They're also pretty similar to the greens that they play at the Valero Texas Open, which is where Jordan Spieth won last year and where Charlie Hoffman is always such a good player at. Mm. And if you actually look at Hoffman, I think it's, it's Hoffman. I think Hoffman's had a second place here. He's got a decent Phoenix record. There are definite course correlations on greens. That's what that's, I'll go as far as saying that. In terms of those. Um, this used to be actually overseeded with velvet bengrass, but that seems to have disappeared out of the greens. It's now ryegrass and poa trivialis, which are the green surfaces uh, this week that they're putting on. So yeah, great course. Risk and reward. Uh, for me, it's ball striker's heaven. If you can hit the ball long, straight, and you are a fantastic iron player, that's exactly what we're looking at this week. Um I'll go through the key winning um, factors here. Strokes gained of the champions since 2016. So Matsuama, Matsuama, Woodland, Fowler, Simpson and Kepka. Where they finished in the field, average it through for these skill stats. I mean, this is very telling. Strokes gained off the tee 11th. If you remember last week at Pebble Beach, that was immaterial off the tee. Yeah. So off the tee 11th, approach 5th, around the green 30th, academic Tee to green fifth, so that's made up largely of approach and also some strong straight driving. Strokes gain putting 21st. So this isn't about a red-hot putter. It's about steady, high GIR, avoiding trouble off the tee, but getting those you know penetrating drives and then going for it on the par fives and the drivable par four. Yeah. It's all about approach, Blake. Yeah, kind of make, make you... Make your numbers on the uh, on the fives and the the short fours and uh, and hang around on the rest. And if you can put four days of four or five under on, then uh, you're going to be right in the mix. Straight sixty sevens is never going to be a million miles away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It isn't about sixty twos, and it's about straight scoring. Really, if you look at it from a traditional skill set, I'm covering over back to 2015 Brooks Kepka when they changed the course. Driving distance 18th, accuracy 21st, greens in regulation, you don't see this number very often. Fourth across all of those winners. That's uh, well, let me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven renewals. Greens in regulation, the champions averaged out of fourth. Yeah. Proximity to hole 11th. Yeah. So again, approach play and consistency with that approach play. Scrambling 18th, putting average 15th. Yeah, you just see it in the names, can't you? I mean, Brooks Kepka came here. Everyone was betting him last year because he was fifty to one. Um, had no form whatsoever, but you just look at how he plays his game. You know, fantastic driver, can be long and straight when on form, and just high GIR. And sure enough, he, he won, and lots of people were on board last year, weren't they, on Kepka? Simpson's slightly different because he's a shorter in terms of his distance, but that particular year, he was driving the ball so sweetly. His GIR numbers were amazing. He, he was just putting brilliantly as well. He only won at 14 to 1, Simpson. 
Fowler, again, another classical golf course player, can be very buccaneering. When his, when his driver and his, and his um, approach plays great, we know what fantastic putter Fowler is. And that was an emotional victory for Ricky with the associations he's got with the organisers and with his, uh, was it his grandfather, his dad, wasn't it? I can remember that. That was that was a very close finish as well because Ricky almost snatched disaster from the uh, jaws of victory like he likes to do. Gary Woodland in 2018 had been playing some really nice golf, but Woodland again, you look at Gary Woodland, great on shorter golf courses where he can club down. High GIR man and streaky putter, and always plays well on the West Coast. That's that's the kind of recipe I think. And then, of course Hideki with his two wins in 16 and 17. It's one of those tournaments where, because it's the same course every year, the conditions seem to be similar. It just you, there's a lot of narratives, a lot of trends here you can follow. Kind of tournament I like. Anything to add, gentlemen, about the course or any views on the field that you're seeing or anything at all? Just um, jump, jumping into the jumping into the odds, I am absolutely baffled as to why Victor Hovland is as long as he is compared to Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantley. Yep, uh, I just him. don't understand that. I yeah. I don't know what JT has to do to actually lengthen his odds. <laughs> How badly does he have to play? To I was tempted on Thomas, and actually, I think William Hill were first up. I think they had him at 16s for about 30 seconds on first show. I'm just going into the history. Mm. No, I must have been imagining that. I, I must have dreamt to 16 to 1. Yeah, but yeah, 14, 14 to 1 yesterday, and I've woken up this morning, and he's just been backed into 12s. The the problem is he seems to not like with the destructive shot sets or whatever metric you want to call it. The, he's still putting in good performances. Like he's got what a third, a fifth, a fifth, and a twentieth. His last four um, on your on the sheet here, Steve. Mm -hmm. So yeah. twentieth a couple of weeks ago. So he's he's there. He's threatening, and I guess that's why the odds aren't slipping. You know, he's not throwing in a missed cut or a forty seventh. You know, place to to drift it out. I don't know. I just don't see it. Victor's won three times in his last uh, five outings. And his missed cut here two years ago, he was, let's say, a uh, younger player on tour, and he missed the cut by one. So, I mean, I think um, it's... Uh, the only question mark I had, I mean, you look at winners here, you don't seem to get many winners for a start. There seems to be a lot of the winners here haven't won for a while. I mean, you look at Kepka last year. He hadn't won, believe it or not. Kepka hadn't won on the PGA Tour or a major for 19 months. That's quite a long, that's quite a winless streak for someone mm. like Brooks Kepka. Webb Simpson hadn't won for 20 months before he won here in 2020. Ricky Fowler, our friend Ricky Barry, 23 months since his previous win. Uh, Gary Woodland. Three and a half years since his previous win. So there's four winners there. Three and a half years, 23 months, 20 months, 19 months. Now that doesn't shout Victor Hovland to me because he's winning pretty much every tournament he goes in at the moment. That feels, actually, if you look at that betting board, it feels more John Rahm. John Rahm hasn't won since the US Open. Justin Thomas hasn't won for 11 months since he won the players last year. 
Patrick Cantlay, of course, won the Tour Championship. So that kind of, you know, if, you go, if we're going down this narrative, he doesn't fit. Matsuama doesn't fit. Hovland certainly doesn't fit. Xander does fit. <laughs> I was on Xander here last year, of course, and he completely cocked up his final round and finished, you know where he finished? Second place, of course. Mm. I was on Xander. That won't surprise you. Um, Jordan Spieth. He hasn't won now for, what, nine months? I think it was the Valero Texas Open he won. Scotty Scheffler hasn't won at all. Now, I like that narrative. Daniel Berger. 12 months now he hasn't won. It was Pebble Beach last year. and Yeah, he's got a bad back, apparently, it's that and the other. But anyway, I'm on board. And then we get back, we get down to Brooks Kepka. Hasn't won since here last year, 12 months ago. So if you're going down this narrative of players that haven't won, I'm just running through it. Sam Burns, well, he's run won twice since in the calendar. Well, it's twice in the last two year, uh, year. He doesn't fit. Finau won uh, in New Jersey end of last year. Then we're down to the likes of Bubba Watson and Webb Simpson. Now, Webb Simpson, I don't think he's won since he won this, has he? So, again, it's two years since Simpson won. So, he actually fits the narrative, Simpson, then. That's kind of... I was looking at it in that kind of way. So, if you just go in those simple terms, Xander is very live here. Scotty Scheffler's very live. You do get first-time winners winning this. Berger's live. He hasn't won for a year. Kepka's live. Bubba's... I was surprised how well Bubba played. He hasn't played for years. And he played... He was right in contention last week. Webb Simpson's live. That's kind of where I'm at. And actually, if you look at the winners here, and you look at their winning prices, um, I'm just scrolling. As I, I spend my whole life scrolling with my mouse. It's very boring. Um... We're looking at 14 to uh, 50 to 1 last year for Kepka, 14 to 1 for Simpson, 22 to 1 for Ricky Fowler, 50 to 1 with Woodland. So we haven't, so already we've got a ceiling there of 50 to 1, last four winners. Matsuama was 11 to 1, he was 28 to 1 the first time he won it. Kepka, 40 to 1. We have to go all the way back to Baby Walrus. Kevin Stadler, 2014. He won 125 to 1 and he beat Bubba Watson, who was 33 to 1. And here's a blast from the past. Graham Dillette. Graham Dillette was 40 to 1 when finishing, uh, whether he was tied second or third here in 2014. 40 to 1 for Graham Dillette. That must have been he one never of his... won on the PGA Tour, <laughs> did he, Graham Dillette? As I said, it must have been one of his many close calls that he got oh, over, God, the, yeah. uh, over the yeah. years. Did he resurface recently? I'm sure I saw his Yeah, name. he's still trying, I believe. Mm. He's just injury-riddled, isn't he? Yeah. Shame. Yeah, Good player on his day. I mean, perfect for this golf course. Long, straight, fantastic ball strike. And when the putter worked, he was difficult to uh, chase down. But inevitably, he always did get chased down. A bit like... Um, who's that? Spencer Levine. He's another one. <laughs> Spencer Levine always used to get on the six. And you could just see him collapse on a Sunday. Right, I've gone for the following. I do like your view, Barry, on the top of the market. I mean, John Rahm, again, every golf course is perfect for John Rahm, but for me, he just doesn't win enough 15-2. to two. JT at 12s, I haven't got a lot of interest in that. 16s, I'd have been very, very tempted. But he's just still got those horrible, destructive drives in him. You actually look at his numbers around here, he always contends, he's always in the picture. But I just think his driving, probably from even 12 months ago, just is still got that 
But he's still got that triple in him. Just still got it. Uh, Cantley at 14 is a lack of a lack of course experience. Doesn't fit that narrative in terms of the. I know it sounds ridiculous, but he's actually winning too much. I've actually plumped on Matsuama. And I'm, I'm plumping on the narrative that we discussed it before Torrey Pies. He's the sort that, when he's, when he's confident, can string multiple wins together. Mm. He clearly won the Zozo. He then won the Sony with a record ever strokes game putting performance. He um, was 30th last time out of Torrey Pines. Finished with uh, one his best round of the week. I think it was tied 7th for scoring on Sunday. And he just comes to a course that he's absolutely fantastic at. I'm looking at our strokes gain metrics, yeah? Here's the top 10 here. Strokes gain ball striking, going back to 2016. Kyle Stanley at 10, previous winner. Max Homer, 9. John Rahm, 8. Justin Thomas, 7. So JT, I said he does like the course. Connor, 6. Brandon Grace at 5. Scotty Scheffler at 4. Francesco Molinari at three. Bearing in mind with that, he'd only he's only played here once, Molinari. Bubba Watson, won't surprise you, second here for strokes game ball striking since 2016. He's played 22 rounds of golf to accumulate that. That is amazing. And number one, Hideki Matsuama. And that's, this golf course is strokes game ball striking. That's just what it is. He tops the tree, 21 rounds. Him and Bubba. Yeah, so he kind of goes against the narrative of of of, non, of of winners that haven't won for a while. But you go back, you actually do find some play. I mean, I remember Mark Wilson winning here in 2011. He won the Sony Open, yeah, and then came here and won this. So it does happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can scrub a player off you because they're playing too trend. Well. We see these trends get broken all the time. So. Yeah. It's just yeah, the way it yeah, is. Absolutely. I think Matsuama's playing bloody good golf. He likes the greens here. They're not that grainy. He knows the course intimately. And his strokes gained approach numbers at the moment. And, and he's dry. He's, he, it's, got, it's the old Hideki Matsuama. For two years, we saw Hideki got, have terrible driving problems. Inconsistent driving. Very errant driving. All of a sudden, the driver's back. It's long. It's, it's not the longest, but it's long. It's straight. And he's just standing far more in fairways. And we know what a fantastic approach player he is. All you, all you need from him is a reason, at least not a hugely negative putting performance this week. And he's right on the money. Well, it turned into Brad Faxon when he won the other week. <laughs> that won't happen this week because I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> he won't be. He won't be. He won't be jamming in. He won't be jamming in seven point five strokes game putting this week. I can assure you. But this is the point. I don't think he has to. If he if he puts anything positive, three quarters of a stroke, a stroke positive. I think the rest of the game's in such good shape. He's gonna just accumulate scores. Mm. So I'm on Matsuama. I've then gone Scheffler, who I think again is made for this course. Long, straight. Good iron player. Um, hasn't won on tour. That doesn't worry me so much here either with the crowd and the boisterousness because you you think of Scotty Scheffler at the Ryder Cup, which was complete and utter mayhem. Three matches, two and a half points, and he beat John Rahm in the singles. So I think he can handle all that. He hasn't won yet, but yeah. 
I'm on Scheffler. I've also gone mid-range on Berger. I think Berger's made for this golf course, and he's got a good record here. I think it's three top 10s or four top 11s in, in seven appearances. I'm not too worried about the back. We've seen all this rubbish before about players that are injured and they can't pop up and win. If he, he he pulled out of the Pebble Beach at the Pro-Am in the morning. Um, he wasn't in the field for this. Then all of a sudden he appeared in the field. So clearly there's some kind of strategy. I think backs can be sorted. So I'm on Berger as well. I think Berger's the kind that would come along and um, potentially, oh God, why didn't I back Daniel Berger? The one that you, I know you guys are probably waiting for me to get to is Russell Henley. Why is that? We know that Russell Henley's on my post-it note of doom. <laughs> yeah. So he's been scrubbed off the post-it note, isn't he? Well, I just thought 50 to 1 for Russell Henley. I mean, we talk about prices and value, don't we? The way that Russell Henley is playing, I'm always wary of Russell Henley at 28 to 1, 30 to 1, 33 to 1. But 50 to 1 on a golf course that's all about consistent, penetrating driving, excellent approach play. I, just, I don't think that's a bad price on Henley. And actually, I look at a lot of the courses where Henley's done well at, Plantation Course, Kapalua, Wireye Country Club, um, TPC Boston, there seems to be a correlation to. There's a definite correlation here to people that have done well in US Opens. You know, Kepka, Simpson, Fowler, Woodland. He's a good US Open track player. Wherever I look, even Eastlake, he, I think he had a second or a third at Eastlake one year. Every course that correlates, I always see Russell Henley's name just popping up. And I keep look, I kept going through my research, and I said, oh, Henley. Henley, 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 Henley. And it gets to a point where you've got to say, well, stop being so ignorant and stupid and just bang him up there. 50 to 1, what is there to lose? I think Henley's playing, he's actually up to 39th or 40th in the world. It's his highest ever world ranking. And I said to you about greens, if there's one golf course that Russell Henley was an absolute specialist at, it was Redstone, the Shell Houston Open. Those greens and these greens are very very similar in their makeup. And when I look at Russell Henn, I'm just looking at his numbers here. Traditionally, putts very well here. I'm seeing strokes gain 4.615, 3.65, 2.17. Even last year, one and a half strokes gain putting. And he was putting abysmally at this stage last year. Just seems, the putter seems a lot better. And as we say, with all these ball strikers and guys that are so good with their approaches, all you need is some Light with the putter and bang, it, the scoring comes. So, yeah, I'm on Henley. And the final one, Keith Killer Mitchell. I've been really impressed with Keith Mitchell. He seems to be developing as a player. A lot more consistent. Isn't slashing it around off the tee. Seems to actually be taking some three words rather than driver all the time. Working out that it isn't all about whacking it as far as you can, but actually getting the ball in the fairway helps. He's got all the tools. Fantastic driver, long driver, um, good approach player, good around the greens. I think I think he's a, a potential world top 50 elite player, Mitchell. And we all know that he's a better Bermuda grass putter than he is on any other surface. And that top 12 or 13 he got at Pebble Beach last week, I mean, Pebble is not his course. That isn't his setup at all. This is more his game. 
And I remember he was top three or four at the CJ Cup when they played that in uh, Las Vegas in the fall. So, yeah, Mitchell. So that's my five. Mitchell at 90s. Henley at 50s. Berger 30s. Scheffler 30s. And Hideki Matsuama at 18 to 1. Those are my five for the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Over to you, boys. Steve, just w- one thing on Henley. You, you're a man that loves patterns and history and stuff. H- Henley does not do well here on even-numbered years. <laughs> Every even-numbered year, he misses the cut. He's so just, just, uh, just in case you missed that, I just, you know, I don't think you can get your money back from the bookies yet or, or right now um, <laughs> or ever. <laughs> so, um, if yeah, look, I don't know. That's uh, I'm not going to touch him. Off you go. If he um, if he holds firm and wins, I did also, learn last week, Barry, and you learn every week, don't you? Never ever put Kevin Kisner up on Poana. So that's a definite. Never doing that ever again. Also, I'm never booking just. I'm never backing Justin Rose unless he's a 66, 80 to one chance a big tournament or a major. I might bang him in. But Rose, I wasn't impressed at all last week. Very, very poor. No, it was, it was a bit messy. I picked him in a one-and-done league and <coughs> it didn't go didn't go so well. I yeah, got sucked, sucked onto the hype train. Yeah, there's, something not, about- there's something not right with Justin. Something not right, the- very wrong, in fact. Anyway, that's that's enough of that. K- Who are you on? K- Kisner's an interesting, not for this week in general, but Kisner's an interesting one for Pro-Ams because... He's kind of a, a fastish tempo player, and maybe that that pace of play in uh, a pro am six hours just not to his liking. Um, yeah, I get that. That just it just kind of knocks you out of your rhythm and flow or your ideal rhythm and flow. So Kisner, um, but, this I've said to you as well, Kisner. This time of the year for Kisner is awful. His schedule is terrible because he there's no courses here he likes, and he, he's only come here because I think he has to. As we mm. said, you know, the next tournament you'll probably see him is Bay Hill. So he's playing all these courses he doesn't actually get on with. So anyway, he'll probably pop up and win this week, Glenn. Never been, never been uh, a great desert yeah. golfer either, Kevin Kisner. Whenever I've looked at Kisner for, you know, you'd thought he'd be really good at PJ West. No good there. He just doesn't seem to play play well at um, on desert tracks. Full stop. Mm. Anyway. Give me um, give give me a little background. Seamus Power, desert golf, bit of altitude. How are we getting on? Because he'll be pretty bummed about his weekend last week uh, after you know roaring into the lead, a huge lead, and um, and then going to Monterey Peninsula and the, the arguably the easiest of the yeah. three courses and uh, just um, stalling. Well, yeah. After that, uh, after that opening round at Spyglass, which was incredible, wasn't it? Mm. I think it was four shots better than anyone else in the field on that course. Which, uh, as it plays the toughest of the three, generally, that was incredible. Really, yeah. Shame, shame to see him uh, d- drop down after that. I still think yeah. Seamus is learning his trade, mate. I generally do. You know, he's at he's at he's at levels that he's not used to. So, yeah. You know what? But he was—he was at a pro-am. He could have gone out and had a big old party Friday night, just enjoying the time. You know, having some uh, seafood and some beers and some California wine. I mean, who knows? Look, things are going really well for Seamus, and you know, kind of if we get, I'd be interested around forty odd to one. 
he's uh he's an unbelievable striker of the ball and uh doesn't um doesn't get scared about going low and you're going to need to score pretty well this week mm. so it's kind of interesting to me the extreme top of the market nobody is appealing to me in terms of you know price versus player so i think i'm just going to go with Seamus and a couple of outsiders um because we'll just break the system with the short odds so I think Xander will be popular this week because Xander hasn't been 20 to 1 for time immemorial and people will just jump on the ceiling. Xander's ceiling. They'll be saying Xander's you know, 20 to 1 and Xander's ceiling's fantastic. 20 to 1 and Xander, actually, if you look at his results, as we've said, he's perennially short. Seamus Power, he ticks all three of my statistical boxes this week. Par breakers, ball striking, going for the green. He's had a top 10 on in the desert. He's also had a top 10 at altitude. Um, he pre- seems to prefer medium and short golf courses than longer golf courses. So there's far worse bets than Seamus Power, yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to go for one, Paul? Yeah, yeah, I've got um, I've got a couple. I mean, both both have been mentioned a number of times and both are fairly obvious. Um, Bubba Watson, I've backed at 40 to 1. Um, with eight places, um, you'd be proud of me. I could have taken the forty fives um, with five places, but no, I've taken the forty to one, eight places each way. I think that differential is just about right. Well um, done, Paul. Yeah, second, second well last done. week in Saudi. <laughs> <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Barry. You'll finish ninth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, yeah, se- still as you said, the right Steve. Thing. As you said, Stevie. Um, second last week in Saudi, which oh, was yeah, a bit out of the blue from, from some. Mm. For some, uh, well, he just hadn't played for for very much. He played in that pairs event before Christmas, didn't he? I think he was was he ninth or something like that. Anyway, yeah, it's only that, yeah, yeah, yeah it's only that uh, monster putt from Harold Varner that stopped him from winning last week. Um, he putted nicely, uh, top ten for greens and regulation as well. You're only getting um, old fashioned stats from Saudi, so uh, so you have to bear that in mind. But yeah, he was top mm. ten for greens and regulation, putted well on the Paspalum greens that are out there. Um, got a great record here in Phoenix. Five top fives from 11 starts in total. Two times, twice he's a runner-up as well. Third and fourth in his last three starts here. So He's um, a shot shaper and he's a ball striker. This course is perfect for Bubba Watson, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. And you're getting the price because it's such a loaded field at the top end. But uh, yeah, I thought 40 to 1 was well worth taking on Bubba. Um, and I've also backed uh, Brooks Kepka at 33s. And really, that's just to see um, you know, if, if he goes out there and if he can bother this week, then um, this is the kind of course that we know he can and does win on. Uh, he won here last year after three consecutive missed cuts. He's actually in marginally better form this time. Actually, he was eighth going into the weekend at Kapalua. So um, that was a little bit uh, more positive. And outside of the majors, we know that he focuses mainly on the major championships outside of the majors. This is the, uh, the event, the event that he actually tends to try and win, I think. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, just as a, uh, a little saver effectively on Brooks, just in case he does come and win um, as an outsider. The one I've backed is Andrew Putnam, um, 125 to one. I got on him and he's got some good progressive form, 27th, 14th, sixth last week. Actually, he was leading going into Sunday last week. Uh, Sunday didn't work out for him, but um, yeah, decent enough for a three-figure chance. Seventh here last year, got his head around the course after a couple of missed cuts on his first two attempts. So that classic combination of current form and uh, course form. 
for a uh, a three figure punt on Andrew Putnam. But yeah, they're the, they're in the, only the desert. Three. Putnam. He yeah. won the Barracuda. Yeah. Won the Barracuda in the desert. Also, fu- very, very, very significantly short course focused. Putnam. Mm. Yeah. I'm just looking at my sheet here. He's just absolutely short courses. So sub sort of seven one. That's where he makes hay. So yeah, make I can make sense here with Putnam. Mm. Right, I think that's us. Should we move on to yours? Yes. I know we're yeah, time and on time. you've got some longer ones. One, one last one. You still putting them. You still putting them right out from under my nose. Oh, I had sorry, him. Bro. No, it's okay. But I, I yeah, I, it's a tricky one because he's one twenty-five, five places, and he's about eighty-eight places. Mm. So, they don't want uh, each way money on him. I think I might split my stake across the two <laughs> just to c- mm. cover it off. I, I, that's that's brutal. You know that um, you know that's a bookmaker. Bookmakers don't want to take any money on him this week for you know just you know one twenty five and it's eighties on the extended places. Yeah, I know. Not I know. Um, I, I'm, I can't I can't not back him now that I've got the the blessing of uh, Paul and. Um, <laughs> I've one other one is uh, Nate Lashley because he's popped really hard in your strokes gained model. Um, that got me looking a little bit deeper. So he's seventh in your strokes gained model. Um, very good across approach, T to green, uh, yeah. ball striking. Yeah. Yeah. That's a he's lot a, of yeah. good stuff. He's an a lot of good player, stuff yeah. there. And he finished 28th last week. All you know, fine for me. And he's a third and a 17th here his last two years. So um, mm. It's. I just have to pick the correct combo of places and odds. I think I'll probably take him one fifties eight places versus one seventy fives five places. Yep. Yep. And that's me. Let's Lovely move on stuff. to the DP World Tour. And also, I heard Barry say European Tour early, so that goes into the charity box. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, done. It's, it's DP World Tour, Paul. Let's move on. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I, I tell you, what, tell you what's difficult is is trying to write a preview where you're not referring to the European Tour because um, all of the past events are European Tour victories or European Tour events, and you know, <laughs> trying to convert that into DP World Tour language when it was a European Tour event back in the day is. Um, Maybe you need clarification from Wentworth HQ whether you can still use European Tour in post results. (laughs) You'll probably get a response within three years. So send send them an email now. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, I, it's, it's all relatively new still, so I'm I'm a little bit sensitive to it when I'm writing. They'll have to ask. They'll ask Keith if if you can do that. Can we still use European Tour in in terms of past results, Keith? Oh, we'll have a we'll have a committee meeting and discuss it. I expect in a month's time I really won't care and it will just I'll just be writing whatever I like. Anyway, I think you're all right, Paul. I mean, and the other thing that's tricky is that their website is still europeantour.com. You know, you're typing into the address bar. So unless they just, it's just there, it's screaming in your face, you know. So just (laughs) you do not help themselves. No, no. it's so true as well. They they have put DP World in as part of the URL string now, but uh, yes, yes, it's uh, yeah, yeah. it's still kind of uh, part of the uh, part of the mix, isn't it? Anyway, let's talk about Razel Keimer, Mark Two, and we're staying in the area for a second consecutive week. And actually, the bookies are expecting a repeat performance by all accounts. Um, 
last week's top two are the first two in the betting as it stands right now. Nikolai Hogard, 14 to 1. He, he finished first. He won by four shots last week. From Jordan Smith, who's 16 to 1 this week, and he finished second. They were three, or he was three shots clear of the rest of the field. So um, the bookies are very much expecting a similar kind of output this week by the looks of it. Thomas Detry's third favourite, 25 to 1, alongside Bob McIntyre, Adrian Aus. All the same price. Adrian Moronk's 28 to 1. Rasmus Hogarth, 30 to 1. Roman Langask at 33s. And uh, 35 to 1 bar those top eight players that I've just mentioned. It's largely the same field as last week, actually. Um, a few notable additions. They include Adrian Alsa, just mentioned. He won here in 2018 um, on the Challenge Tour. Justin Hardin's playing this week. Rafa Cabrera Bayo's playing. Uh, Laurie Cantor's been added to the field, but it's kind of 80, 85% the same as last week. Um, and of course, we're playing on the same course as last week as well. So uh, you can see why the bookers have kind of gone down this repeat performance approach with their pricing. And we got a good look at the course last week. Uh, 24 under was the winning total. So very much a resort course as we'd expected. Just to recap, the, uh, the, the the course itself is a Peter Harradine uh, design, 7,325-yard par 72, typical coastal desert affair, wasn't it? Passable greens, um, attackable par fives, a few short par fours in there as well. And uh, like last week, the only notable breeze that we're going to get um, is likely to be on Sunday afternoon. In fact, if anything, the, the breeze in the week looks to be slightly less than it was last week, so... Um, I don't know. Can they go deeper than 24 under? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's going to be in that kind of region again, I think, this week, unless they decide to particularly tuck the pins away and, and try and differentiate it from last week. But uh, I'm not sure there's a great deal they can reasonably do with that course to make it uh, you know, considerably different from one week to the next. We shall see. Um, and of course, versus last week, we've got the benefit of last week's events results um, and some strokes gain numbers to give us a little bit of a clue as to who um, might be suited best uh, now a further week on and if you look at the top two last week and the strokes gain numbers from the, the first two past the post Nikolai Hogard was first for strokes gained off the tee he was also first for strokes gained tee to green he absolutely smashed it from off the tee and from tee to green um, Jordan Smith was second for strokes gained off the tee seventh for strokes gained tee to green. So those guys pretty much achieved their positions in very, very similar fashion. And in fact, if you look at the top six finishers, um, it was only Adrian Otegi who uh, really deviated from that uh, that kind of ball striking tee to green template. Um, he topped strokes gained putting, um, whereas the rest of the guys in the top five, or top six rather, um, were again very strong from off the tee, very strong from tee to green. So... Yeah, the summary from that, strong driving, strong tee to green game seemed to be the way ahead. Um, if you break down the scoring as well that we saw last week, um, Jordan Smith and um, Hogard again, both of them were 10 under for the par fours on the week. The only difference between the two really was that uh, Nikolai was 15 under on the par five, Smith was nine under. So um, really the differential between the two was um, how well that Nikolai Hogard played the par fives over the course of the week. I wouldn't say the par five scoring is absolutely critical. It, it may well be the um, 
the, the kind of final differential between the winner and the second or third place finishes. But uh, if you look at some of the players who finished um, just behind Smith and Hogard, um, they were kind of six under, eight under for the par fives, which is kind of uh, what you'd expect for uh, for for holes that are that length on a course like that that is attackable. So um, it was only when you got really um, ahead of the game with the uh, par five scoring, like Nikolai Hogard did, that it makes a makes a huge different difference. Um, what else have we got? I, looking at the current form, last week I'd, uh, I'd listed the current form of the three Challenge Tour winners coming into this, Adrian Aus, Jens Dantorp and Jordan Smith, and all three of those had had a top four finish in their previous three starts. And Hogard, despite having uh, 2022 form of miscut, miscut, had finished fourth on his uh, his event prior to Christmas, second and fourth were his two or his last two event finishes coming into uh, the back end of twenty twenty one. So he fits that narrative as well. So um, if you want to get as absolutely uh, kind of t- taking a knife to the field as uh, as deep as that, then you could look at players who have only finished in the top four from the last three starts and see where that leaves you. Um, of course, trends like that are there to be absolutely blown out of the water. So. Uh, uh, yeah, take it with a pinch of salt. But Hogard was there to be picked. I, you look back um, a week on, and um, I really did toy with putting up Rasmus and Nikolai last week, and ultimately I just went with Rasmus. Which, uh, uh, well, many have said that Nikolai is going to be the better player, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to tell. I mean, in terms of wins, um, Rasmus had kind of stolen the march on his brother. But if you switch it around now, Nikolai has got a yeah. higher world ranking. Um, he's got mm. the momentum. Um, he's got two wins from his last, what, 12 starts or where it is mm. now. Um, yeah, the, 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 the pair of them are going to be massive players of the future. They're going to be Ryder Club, Cup players. They're going to be PGA Tour players eventually. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's got to be fascinating to see how they progress the pair of them over the next few years. Um, yeah, I boil it all down. I think it's going to be another birdie fest. I think we've got to focus on strong off the tee game. I think we've got to focus on strong tee to green games. And ultimately, you've just got to be able to convert a few putts on these Paspalum greens um, that we saw last week. Um, I've gone for four. Um, just narrowed it down to four this week. I'm taking on the market leaders with Adrian Arnaus at 25 to 1. I mentioned earlier that he won the Challenge Tour event here. It was the grand final back in 2018. And he's been knocking on the door ever since on the, uh, as it was, European Tour, now DP World Tour. Uh, top 10s at Portugal and Dubai to close out the year last year. They were they were quite impressive. He was 20th in Abu Dhabi. He had that flying final round that I talked about a couple of weeks back when I backed him in. Dubai and he missed the cut. Uh, he was third last week in Saudi, and it was only that uh, finish from Baba and uh, Varna the third. Both of them made birdie equal over the final two holes that uh, that finally shook him off. And he, he had a great chance to win last week, um, and uh, it, it was just very flat. I went backwards, um, kind of the mid part of the round on Sunday. Um, but other than that, it was uh, it was pretty good. Second for putting average on the Paspalum Greens last week at Royal Greens Golf and Country Club over in Saudi. So that's a good tick for for this week. Uh, what caught my eye, though, from his Saudi performance was he was 16th for Greens in regulation. That was his best Greens in regulation stat since April last year. Bear in mind, there's no strokes gain numbers out of last week, as I mentioned earlier. So we're looking at that raw number. But 16th for Greens in reg. 
He was also um, strong from off the tee. He had his best driving accuracy stat since the start of 2020 that I've seen registered last week as well. So strong from off the off the tee, strong with his irons, very strong on the Paspalum greens last week. That sounds like a uh, a match made in heaven for a course that is already proven to be victorious on. So. Uh, Puts it all out together this week. I think he's going to go very, very close to nabbing that first win, Adrian Ailes, at 25 to 1. So, on Ailes is in. I've stuck with Rasmus. I've stuck with Rasmus Hogard for a second week. Same price, 30 to 1. Um, we've all, already seen these back to back Hogard victories. Back in uh, the autumn of last year, Rasmus won at Cranstorcier. Nikolai won the week after, inspired by his brother's win at the Italian Open. Um, perhaps we reverse this week. Perhaps we'll see Nikolai take a step back and Rasmus come through and add another Hogard victory to the uh, to the, the list of, uh, of players getting over the line on the DP World Tour. I mean, the riv- rivalry between the pair is going to ramp up, as we just mentioned over the years. 67th in the world now is uh, Nikolai. 108th for Rasmus. He'll be looking to equalise that as soon as he reasonably can, I'm sure. Um. I watched a lot of Rasmus last week, as you'd expect. I was on him. He, uh, I, I think my, my summary was that he played really quite well for three days. Um, and it was one hole. It was the short par four fifth that really was the killer for him. Oh, yeah, I noticed doubled, that. Birdie and double. I saw that in his first two rounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he doubled it on the first day. Then he went bogey, bogey, bogey for the other three days. This mm. is a short kind of 340-yard um, you know, right condition, drivable par four, par four, and um, he absolutely butchered it. Now, if you turn that around, and on another day, another week, he makes birdie, 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 par, or something like that. You know, or, or makes an eagle and a couple of birdies. He plays it entirely different, and you know, had he done that over the first three days, he'd have been going out in the final group on Sunday with a real chance of winning, rather than uh, where he was kind of mid-pack and uh, and throttling down for the final round as his brother went and uh, won the title. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not concerned where he finished last week. I think the course suits him. I think that he can get his head around that short par four and the rest of his game should be there or thereabouts. He had so many chances last week, so many chances on the greens. Um, and uh, if, if he can just get his head around that, uh, those Paspal and putting surfaces for you know, ahead of this Thursday, then I think he's going to go really, 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 really close, Rasmus. So, uh, yeah, sticking with him, keeping the faith. Uh, another one I've backed is Danny Van Tonda at 50 to 1. He caught the eye last week after a slow start. He was three over through his first three holes on Thursday. Uh, eventually shot a 73. Everyone else was making birdies for fun and he was uh, he was trying to claw it back to level par. Nearly got there. After that, shot 68, 69, 65. Closed the bogey-free Sunday. Some really good momentum going into this week. Uh, won the South African Open in December. That was the one that got taken off the DP World Tour schedule. So that was just a Sunshine Tour win. His eighth Sunshine Tour win now. But he's also won on what was the European Tour. Um, he won the Ken- Kenya Savannah Classic last last year Kenya Savannah classic rather last year um, and that was another one of these double headers that, that was the second week of um, the Kenya double and uh, he missed the cut the first week got his head around it and and won the second week and I suspect from the momentum that we saw last week he can go really quite close this week uh, seventh strokes gained off the tee for the full season last year that's um, bang on for what I'm looking in terms of the key metrics for this uh, this week and when he's on his game 
off the tee, tee to green is absolutely where he is. So uh, hopefully he puts that all together again this week and uh, and gives it a really good, uh, really good go. And finally, I've taken a chance on Andy Sullivan. 70 to 1 I took on Sullivan. And um, when you look at a resort 24 under style course, um, it absolutely screams a player like Sullivan. And you're getting this price because he started the season off poorly. He started uh, 2022 off poorly, a miscut and a 47th or something along that, like, along those lines for the, uh, for the first two starts this season. Didn't play last week. Um, but if you go back to the back end of last year, he was fourth at the um, fire course on uh, in, in Dubai back in November. That was strong. He's got some really good form in the region, actually. He was second at the DP World Tour Championship back in 2015. Got another couple of top tens there. Um, fourth, as I said, at the fire course. Also second the year before. Uh, second, fourth and sixth at the Dubai Desert Classic over the years as well. So... In terms of kind of regional form, just down the road at, uh, in Dubai is absolutely spot on. In terms of getting this kind of target score, he won the, the Portugal Masters at 23 under par. He won the English Championship at 27 under par. Both of them, were, he absolutely lapped the field in both instances. So when he can find his game and when he gets himself on these low scoring resort courses, he can absolutely mop up. So... I thought 70 to 1 was well worth taking on a player of Andy Sullivan's pedigree with four historical European Tour wins over the years. So that's my four Andy Sullivan, Danny Van Tonder, Rasmus Hogard, and Adri Arnaus. And hopefully one of those guys can get over the line with any luck. Barry, any from you? Struggling. I probably. If- Top of the market, I'd probably go with you on Adrian House. Jump in on that. It, yeah, lines up quite well. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Steve, any, any, any um, really moments of inspiration? It, to be honest, I've been flat <coughs> on, the, on the Phoenix Open, but Arnous, I mean, we, we've been talking about him forever. He's got to get over the line at some point. Yeah. Uh, and Russ, and I must say, Andy Sullivan, he does fit the bill. How long's this golf course? Seven three, and you know, in desert conditions, warm. It, the ball flies a bit, doesn't it? It's, um, it? It doesn't doesn't play long. Doesn't play long. You think all. he's all right around that distance? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he, do, he does. You know, twenty. He, he, he does like a mid twenties under par. Yeah, Andy. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. And he, and he and he always contends from no form whatsoever. Yep. Yeah. You're yeah, actually I'm, backing the ceiling there with Sullivan, which isn't a bad shout, is it? 70 to 1, I think, yeah, there's there's not much in terms of superior overall quality ahead of him in the field here. Um, and mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just predicated on what he's done over his last couple of starts yeah. at the start of this year. I get that. And the last of my list was Callum Shinkwin. So if you want to. All right, lump on. If you want to go for one, it's. Uh, <laughs> lump on, listeners. Yeah. Callum Shinkwin. Shinkwin was the uh, the one player. If I'd have, if I'd have put five up this week, it would have been Shinkwin as well. But I I can't justify adding another one into the mix. But if you fancy another one and you fancy gloating when he wins next week, then uh, then yeah, stick Shinkwin in. But that's me. I think that's us, chaps, isn't it? We're done. Indeed. We don't know what the tournaments are next week because the the uh, the Indian Open seems to have been cancelled, but there's been no official word from the DP World Tour. But um, I will be around. 
Um, and it is, is it the Genesis Invitational next week, I believe? Yes. I better check it. Let me just check. Oh, check, check, check. It is the Genesis Invitational. That will be absolutely loaded from Riviera Country Club. Mm. The last leg of the West Coast swing. We then move into Florida. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Should be good. Great stuff. Thank you for your time, gentlemen, and good luck with your bets. Yeah, best of luck, boys. Good luck, guys. Best of luck uh, to the listeners, and we'll be back next week for the Genesis Invitational. Goodbye. If you like betting on golf, but everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved with all the stats and the tips and so much more. Cause it's the golf betting system. The golf betting system is the golf.